Hello and welcome to There Will Be Spoilers, 100 Films, 100 Podcasts. My name is Matt Vizell. And I am Ethan Knight. And this week we are on number 63 of AFI's Top 100 Films, 1972's Cabaret. Cabaret. Cabaret, cabaret. Gab- oh, you, you're saying it wrong. It's Gabelet, Gabelet, Gabelet. Is that guy just super unsettling to you? Yes, he absolutely is. Extremely unsettling. Okay. And listen, this is a film. Well, th- I, I have seen this before as a stage production when I was an undergraduate um, that they that they put on. Even then, the the MC was extremely unsettling. I mean, he basically was the exact same guy. I mean, so I think this is an established thing. I think the MC is always And I think there's a reason for that. But before we get there, why don't you give us a plot synopsis? Yes, I will give you a plot synopsis. Cabaret, excuse me, Cabaret is the story of Sally Bowles and Brian Roberts. Sally, an American, is a cabaret cabaret singer, and Brian, uh, a, a Brit, is a PhD student. Both have recently moved to Berlin. Uh, the year is 1931. The two meet when Brian rents a room at the same boarding house as Sally. Brian begins tutoring Germans in English, and Sally attempts to seduce him, initially unsuccessfully, and the two strike up a friendship. Sally's world is much more bohemian than Brian's, and he becomes more and more involved in it, and the two become lovers. Sally meets a rich baron named Maximilian, and she seduces him in order to gain access to his money. Um, while Brian is initially upset, he too becomes embroiled in the love affair and also becomes involved with Max. However, Max loses interest and leaves the two with a little bit of money after breaking off the affair. Sally then discovers she's pregnant, and despite being excited at first, she envisions a humble life with Brian and aborts the child without his knowledge. He finds out, the two argue, and then they mutually decide to break off their relationship. Brian returns to England, Sally returns to the stage. At the same time during all of this, the Nazis are gaining power in Germany. This is the end of... What is it? It's not not the Reich. It's the you know this, Matt. Oh, I don't actually. The the Weimar Republic. This is the end of the Weimar Republic. That's what it is, right? This is right when the Nazis are coming into power. Mm-hmm. So there's a side plot with Fritz, uh, who's a friend of the two lovers, and he attempts to ri- to woo a rich Jewish woman uh, again for her money, but he ends up falling in love with her. She falls in love with him, uh, but the rising anti-Semitism really worries them both and troubles their relationship. Fritz eventually reveals that he's a Jew as well. He's been posing as a Christian, and the two get married. Nazi sympathy grows as the film progresses, eventually leading to a very clear acceptance of anti-Semitism and and Nazism by the end. We mentioned the MC being unsettling, and certainly that's because there is the specter, or the ever-growing, ever solidifying specter of nazism throughout the film yes mm-hmm. first it starts with some good old violence the nazis are roughing up a dude that tried to kick him out of the club i think is the i think thing. roughing up is maybe a nice way of saying it. I mean, they, they pretty much dutch. killed this dude yeah yeah like, they he, beat he the moving shit out of him and then you see them on the streets and then there's this one scene where this nice young aryan german boy sings a song about a rise tomorrow is mine and yes, then they pan down slowly, and it turns out he's a Nazi. He's a Nazi. 
then all the rustics get into it and it's mm-hmm. very clear that nazism is gaining momentum yes and throughout the film maximilian is saying things like oh we're going to use them to oust the communists and then we'll get rid of them because we don't need them and he's like mm-hmm. who is us who is they but brian asked him this question and maximilian really doesn't have answers but he's just so confident mm-hmm. which you know we all know how this goes <laughs> yes we do and you know that's that particular sentiment is is a very eerie one because we sit at a political moment in which there is a political party that thinks that they can just control a radical wing of that party to do the things that they want to do and then they will let them go and that's proved to be uh, quite a precarious position you cannot control the uncontrollable exactly so ethan why don't i give us our pivotal scene for this film yeah, I'm interested to see what you've chosen. I have some things to say about this in the three questions, but I think this film is based a lot on looks and movements and gestures as opposed to dialogue, yeah. which is great. It's really good cinematography, but it also makes it very difficult to pick a pivotal scene. The The structure of this film, it's not clear in, in my synopsis, but the structure of this film essentially is that we get instances of Sally, Brian, and, and their friends... Uh, that are intercut over and over with scenes from the cabaret and uh, the the. I'm MC. sorry. The what? The so, the cabaret. The what? Um, oh, so, oh, excuse me. The cabaret. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, the and so the the cabaret scenes often, perhaps not explicitly, but definitely um, under the sort of what's the word I'm looking for? Not explicit, but it's under the implicitly yeah implicitly that's what i'm looking for they implicitly are responding to the the scenes that actually drive the plot yeah with the one where the mc is talking about his love of this gorilla this ape like a literal person dressed up as a gorilla yeah monkey suit and says you if you look through my eyes you'd understand and at the very end he says she doesn't even look like a jew and yeah. so it's very clear they're doing a heavily anti-semitic song up there and this is right before fritz and natalia's wedding right so that one's a little more explicit i would say but yeah mostly they are implicitly responding to the scenes around them so i could definitely see this working as a stage play i mean it started as one right yes and actually this is this one is because we talk a lot about how we have adaptations of novels in this in this uh list quite often Mm -hmm. um this is actually a an adaptation of a stage musical, which is an adaptation of a stage play, which is an adaptation of a novel or set of short stories that is based on then a a group of short stories that have been sort of pushed all together. So we are going through Seven Degrees of Kevin Bacon uh, adaptation style. Right, and then there's (laughs) Footloose at the end. It's really weird, but... Yeah, it is really strange that Footloose is there, and I don't know why, but it's there. So they kind of allude to that in the opening credits. There's like yes. this, based on this, based on this, based on this statement. But yes. returning to the pivotal scene that I've chosen for this film, mm. I think it's a fairly obvious one, but maybe the thematic undertones is where it gets a little more interesting. However, the scene in question is where Brian comes in after Maximilian pushes him out of the car effectively, not literally, but he looks like he's disgusted with himself. Brian goes upstairs Sally is talking about going to Africa and how masterfully she's handled Maximilian, drinks some champagne. Mm-hmm. Oh, I might become the next, you know, heiress. He's going to marry me. And he ends up 
getting very angry and explodes says screw maximilian she says i do and he kind of laughs and says so do i Mm -hmm. and that's like the big reveal that they both have been involved with maximilian which Mm -hmm. has been certainly alluded to but more of in a menage a trois sort of situation Mm -hmm. whereas now it's very clear that they have been separately involved with maximilian yeah so let's go ahead and listen to the scene because i think it's a very powerful one and then i will say a few things afterwards bam i told schneider we'd be gone for at least two months maybe more she cried and cried and said she'd miss us i think the only reason she was crying though is because she knows she can't get 50 marks a month from anybody else with these pitiful little rooms you know money makes the world go around the world go where have you been i've been tagging for hours some champagne, darling. Compliments of Max. Oh, the laundry came back. It's over there on the bed. You know, Bright, it occurred to me. I know I've handled Max brilliantly and all. And what with the African moon? I mean, it would be funny, wouldn't it, if he asked me to become the next Baroness von Hoyne in Regensburg? I've been looking for that for months. I mean, stranger things have happened. I wouldn't dream of accepting him, of course. For God's sake, I wish you could hear yourself sometimes. I mean, really hear yourself. Christ! Aren't you ever going to stop deluding yourself, hmm? Handling Max. Behaving like some ludicrous little underage femme fatale. You're, you're about as fatal as an after-dinner mint. Well, darling, we all know about your vast experiences with Les Farm, fatal or otherwise. <coughs> but why don't you just come out with it? You can't stand Maximilian because he's everything that you're not. He doesn't have to give English lessons for three marks an hour. He's rich, and he knows about life. He doesn't read about it in books. He's suave, and he's divinely sexy. And he really appreciates a woman. Oh, screw Maximilian! I do. (sighs) So do I. That happens three-fourths the way through the film. It's kind of mm-hmm. a late reveal. But Maximilian never returns. He basically gives him money. After this fact, Sally says, oh, we're pretty much doing better than Madame Cost, who she introduces as a prostitute at the beginning of the film. So mm-hmm. Sally with her sort of... Well, can we call her a manic pixie dream girl? You know, I think that she has elements of it but i don't know that she necessarily is at the end although i'm willing to be moved on that stance sort of i would say okay because she's certainly manic has some terrible ideas which i'll get into a little bit later but she literally has a pixie haircut (laughs) yeah she literally has a pixie haircut this is this is liza minnelli by the way i think we should mention that 
her breakout role. And I, you know, I would have said my girlfriend, Liza Minnelli, which I said when uh, Olivia and I sat down to watch this. But then right. I realized that my girlfriend, Liza Minnelli, isn't actually this version of Liza Minnelli. My girlfriend, Liza Minnelli, is old Liza Minnelli from like um, Arrested Development or something. From Arrested Development. I like her. I think I like her a lot better as old Liza Minnelli. Uh, but that's just me. I had never known Liza Minnelli, young Liza Minnelli. I only knew her from Arrested Development. So I saw this. So I was like, wow, that's a, that's a change. Yeah. I also kind of hate her character, but that's another thing we'll get into. Yes, we can definitely deal with that. So I think this scene is important because I actually think it answers the thesis of this film. Okay. Now, Ethan, you had messaged me before we had started recording saying, like, I just don't know what I would even say about this film as a thesis. I don't know what it's trying to say. Yes, and and I feel like in the last... 10 minutes I well and I ended up writing something but I feel like revisiting this now I watched it last night uh so and I had dealt with you know the realities of life during the day so it was pushed out of my head a little bit but the more we've discussed it the more I feel like I'm coming closer to something so I want to hear what you have to say because I think maybe it's gonna end up being close to what I might end up saying yeah as is our trend we typically talk about these things and it clarifies them for us in a way that we didn't have in our notes or before we start recording. So yes. with that in mind, I'm not even really going to read off of my thesis. This is kind of what I'm working with now because I've got the major pinnings of it, but I, I try, I'm trying to work through this, I guess, at the same time. So when it's revealed to us that both Brian and Sally have been involved with Maximilian separately, we're seeing this ultimate act of, I hesitate to use degradation or degeneracy, mm-hmm. but... Maximilian is decadence personified. Yeah, he and he is. talks about it's his responsibility to corrupt Brian and Sally. He says it in mm-hmm. jest, of course, but we can take him at his word there. Yeah, extravagantly okay. wealthy, does whatever he wants, whoever he wants, as it turns mm-hmm. out. And I don't know if it's Nietzsche or Kierkegaard, the philosopher, that says, you know, in decadent societies, you start to get aberrant personalities, mm-hmm. and they literally meant homosexuals, which is not what I'm backing at all but i think right. the sexual deviance of because maximilian's not homosexual he is maybe yeah, bisexual married. or pansexual yeah. we, i, I yeah. think pansexual is maybe better in line with what he is because deliberately invoking pan where we get that from right the mm-hmm. sort of roman bacchanal sort of sordid yes. affairs i think that better represents him and so i think that's illustrating germany in this time period falling they're pretty much falling asleep at the wheel while the Nazis mm. have their agenda. They've got their stuff in order and they're on the rise. And so the whole idea of the cabaret is, and we go back to this often, that spectacle in which people, the MC really literally asked them to leave their troubles at the door. Yes. What are your troubles? Watch these girls and men in drag dancing. And there's that seduction, that spectacle to it. And so we forget about, or supposedly forget about, everything that's happening around us in the political times. And that works because at the end of the film, when Liza Minnelli sings her song about the cabaret, right? The world's a cabaret. The world is a cabaret. Which I think answers that thesis too. You look through apparently some kind of glass that reflects through a glass darkly almost, one might say. Mm -hmm. A bunch of Nazis at the end in the cabaret. We're already seeing the proliferation of the propagation of the Nazis. And they're actually present throughout the film in minor roles and they slowly grow and grow and grow and so what i think this is is showing that the nazis step in they've created the historical moment because the weimar republic 
has given in to the cabaret, a spectacle. So mm-hmm. decadence has to give way and it gives way in a very, very terrible fashion with the rise of the Nazis and Hitler and all that ensues from that point. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not too far off from that. I mean, I think that this film does very much call for us to be politically active and aware because of because the escapism of and this is when you were talking about the um, the uh, spectacle of the cabaret. I think this fits into this idea of escapism, right? Um, there, these things click together really well, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think escapism writ large in this film involves you know, going to the cabaret, which is the embodiment of sort of debauchery and pleasure and, uh, you know, spectacle, um, you know, so, but, but on top of that, right, there's also Sally's life, which is one that's filled with sex, booze, uh, you know, and, and decadence, right? This, this siren song of escapism, um, uncritical entertainment lets things like nazism or fascism or whatever bad things you know grow and happen because again you're escaping from the world you're not focusing on what's really happening around you um and i think that this that final song where she sings the world is a cabaret i think that this film wants us to condemn that it's an ironic song at the end the whole world is not a cabaret uh because because we know the the actual ending of the of all this shit in Germany. Like we know that we're right at a tipping point and everything's going to go bad. People are going to die, uh, in, in the, you know, the millions and millions. Um, but I also think one of the things that, that I missed when I wrote that down is this idea of control, right? I think that there's something wrapped up in escapism and spectacle, um, and sort of stepping back from these things with the assumption, or maybe this is hubris, right? It's the assumption that we can control, whatever's happening and we'll make it happen and they'll do what they need to do but and it's going to help us get rid of the communists which is what they're trying to do right mm-hmm. um and you can't control that right and they and they're and they're being blind to that again they're using escapism they're using debauchery or whatever you know whatever it is to not really have to deal with it um and and just sort of assuming that there is control when there's not control and when this is this is mirrored in the uh Maximilian scenario, right? Sally thinks that she can control him. She's like, I'm a gold digger. I'm going to be able to do it. Or Fritz. Fritz is like, I'm, I want to meet this rich chick so that I can, you know, get all of her wealth and her dad will give me a job and make me a partner. Um, and those things end up not working. They're a mirror for this idea that the Weimars can, uh, or maybe it's not the Weimars. I don't know enough quite about this, but it's the, the, the standing government, right? Can just control the Nazis and let them, you know, exterminate the fas- or the communists for them, um, and then we'll just continue to control them. But of course you can't. Whereas Fritz actually has a happy ending because he actually truly falls in love with Natalia. True. And she rejects him, and he eventually has to make a clean breast of his faith. And he, like he's knocking on the door mm-hmm. at night really loudly, made open the door, and he says, I'm a Jew. I'm <laughs> a then, Jew. And the next scene is them getting married. And so, but, but it, see, it's a big I would challenge that that's him. not a happy ending, though. We know what's oh, going sure. well, to happen. Oh, sure. Well, yeah. I say it's yeah. happy in the film because compared to yeah. way that Sally is still on the stage, you never know. Someone might come by and make her a star. We know that's not going to happen. And she's saying, mm-hmm. The world's a cabaret. Come to the cabaret, which I think we can interpret that the way you mentioned, but maybe interpreted slightly differently. It could also be, The world is spectacle. Remove yourself to this smaller microcosm of spectacle. Mm-hmm where you can leave your troubles at the door and just watch the pretty colors swirl 
So yeah. her ending is very tragic where at least Fritz and Natalia, if they're going to be exterminated in the next couple of years, at least they'll be together, I guess is the one consolation we can give. Right. And I mean, I guess Brian does also kind of have the closest thing to the to a happy ending this film gives us. He he pieces out. He's like deuces. I'm going back to go like finish my PhD. Well, I was thinking about that, but I don't know if that's exactly happy because he was there to do research in Berlin or at least do- expand himself. Yeah. He doesn't do that. No. And he leaves far more broken in terms of relationships than when he came over and he's withdrawn himself from that world. You know, there's no influence there. He's going to be in Britain where things are going to be. Well, I would push back against that a little bit. I would say that I think that he gains some like valuable life experience um, and comes into his own a little bit and then leaves with that knowledge. Now he doesn't accomplish. I think you're right. He doesn't accomplish the things he came to do (laughs) research and shit. Um, but I do think that there's maybe some personal growth, I guess, that Sure, get but I'm saying him. he also can't be a agent of change right. in the politics of Berlin at that time. Yeah, absolutely not, right? Um, and, and really, I think that Sally uh, has a—I mean, her ending is quite tragic um, in that, you know, she's—there is— the world's a cabaret. I'm gonna stay here and be a cabaret dancer, singer, but but I don't think we, I don't think there's a happy ending for her in the end. And she has gone whole hog into it instead of settling for what she sees as mediocrity, right? Which is sort of what Fritz gives into, I guess, to it to an extent, right? right? Even like, they're extravagantly wealthy, the Landauers, anyway. Yeah, but but he ends up doing it for the love, right? Whereas Sally's like, I would, you know what? The love is great, and that could be fun, but like. I have goals and I want to go do them. And we kind of know that there isn't really a future for her. Um, and this leads me to one of the things I'd like to point out uh, in terms of adaptation here. In the stage play, it's uh, often understood that Sally's actually not very talented. Liza Minnelli is, of course, extremely talented. Um And I think that, that by changing that to make her very talented uh, kind of undercuts the that ending sure if we we as the audience know that she's not talented but she thinks she is we also get the impression she might not be a good actress which is kind of a weird thing to Mm -hmm. think about because you're watching an actress who's obviously right well at acting but maybe get the idea that sally bowles herself is not a good actress and maybe not even a good dancer she's a good singer and i think that's maybe the best we can say about her but yeah one more note on brian before we move on to sally and why i hate her but (laughs) brian failing to affect political change he's walking through the boarding house and he hears the old man say it's these communist jew bankers Mm -hmm. and brian's like how can you possibly believe that how can they be communists and bankers he's like you don't actually (laughs) believe that do you and he tries to confront the guy and the guy kind of brushes him off and then brian basically gives up and walks away because he's got his own personal issues to deal with so right. I think that's actually exemplifying what I'm talking about in that yeah. he does kind of make a retreat here instead of taking a stand or trying right. to fight for change, which is a supererogatory action, but still that's what you want from a main mm-hmm. character like that. But um, let's turn to Sally and why I hate her because <laughs> she encourages Fritz to rape Natalia. Yes, she does. That's pretty fucked up. Um and the film doesn't disabuse us of the notion because Natalia telling her story, which is traumatic and tragic at the beginning, 
sounds mm-hmm. very sad, obviously. And then she says, I think like then the fire was met with my fire and then she's right. like into it. So it's like a rape positive scene in that moment. And it's never yeah. really like that is the mechanism for them falling in love or her falling back in love with him. And that right. is pardon my French fucked up. Yeah, that's that that is kind of hard to well not kind of that is hard to swallow um and hard to to watch play out because it certainly does that that her story that she tells most of it at the beginning sounds like he just came he came over and raped her uh and then of course she's like oh but I liked it uh and that yeah it it's not good it's just not good and and Sally is absolutely wholeheartedly into that she's like yeah just just pounce just do it yeah pounce was the term she used but I think this mm-hmm. shows the debauched nature of Sally's character yeah and perhaps also the corruption of Natalia in that way even though within the boundaries of the film I think it has a happy ending for those two they do genuinely love each other but you can't I I just goes without saying you can't just rape someone because that's how you think they'll fall in love with you. That's insanity. <laughs> right. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. And, and I mean, on top of that too, uh, which that is enough to condemn Sally's character, but on top of it, I mean, Sally is manipulative. Uh, she's petulant. She is about instant gratification. You know, she, will use and abuse anyone to get money she's selfish she's selfish she's not it's a, it's very hard for her to be a redeeming character in any way right you know and and even you know the way she goes about this abortion is is really fucked up because as far as brian knows they have a future i mean he you know he says i don't care who the father is it's you know it's this will be my baby blah 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 and then you know on a whim essentially and i think she says i had a whim or whatever she says she goes one out, of my whims yeah she goes out and aborts the baby and that this is not me in any way condemning abortion you know no that, no, I, no. And, and of course you know i think probably both of us would agree that you know you do you um but that would not be the preferred way of going about such a thing right like it yeah i guess i'm i guess bad. i'm careful to say like well, it's her body, her rights, but it did seem like they had a previous arrangement worked out, and maybe she did owe him some kind of explanation beforehand before she pulled the trigger on that. And so I do feel bad about it, though I think, you know, her body, her rules. But it, it did seem like a way to, to hurt Brian, though. Yeah, and then that's really what I think the problem is, is that, like, she comes in and, and twists the knife in him uh, and doesn't really give him an, an explanation Um you know, and and again, I mean, I think that this is a situation where if she had came in and said this, you know what, I'm not on board with this anymore. Brian would have, you know, and again, this is just all imaginary. But, you know, Brian seems like the kind of character that would say, fine, that's cool. I mean, he initially is down with the abortion, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she uses it as a way to to hurt him. Uh, and that's, uh, again, unpl- in the same way that yeah, she... It seems like a way to whiplash him, really. Yeah, just like the way that, you know, they're they're together and she does this whole thing with Maximilian um and and is so, you know, uh, you know, proud of herself that she can tell him, you know, well I've been screwing him and and then and then she's so taken aback by the fact that he's like, "Ha ha! Guess what me too." Yeah, and then she's like super offended and it's like, "What?" Right. Yeah. So, it's very hard to see her as 
as a character that we can sympathize with in in a lot of ways. Except, I mean, there is the the, the storyline with her father, and you know, there's there's maybe more to be said about Sally that you know we obviously won't have the time or space to do here. Sure, but but it's very hard, uh, you know, in a in a broad reading to to find her as a, a sympathetic character. I would say she and the MC are the cabaret personified. Yeah. And as the film goes on, the MC kind of pops up in the other scenes. She's like yes, he does. a few seconds interspersed with the other scenes. And he becomes for me almost the satanic figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think you're, I think we're definitely supposed to make that connection. Uh, yeah. So cabaret, no, not good. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not a pleasant place. So, Ethan, do you want to turn to our three questions? We should do that. We should. So our first question is, do we care? Um, yes, I think we do. And I think we do because this, as our listeners probably know, I hate musicals. I fucking hate those things. <laughs> um, and Cabaret, I did not have positive uh, memories of in general from my undergrad years seeing it on, on stage. Um and rewatching it, well, not rewatching it. I mean, watching the film version. Um, the a, a good portion of this film is very jarring and very uncomfortable, um, and very unpleasant. And, and and honestly, I don't really think the music is. Pl- I mean, it's not bad music. I wouldn't say that, but it's not pleasant to listen to. A mm-hmm. good portion of it, um, it makes you feel icky, uh, on all levels. It's Lyrics, also mixed like too loud, so yeah. it's kind of harsh on your ears. I think that's on purpose, though. Yeah, I think so. And the more I thought about it and the further I got through the film, I, I do like this idea that this is, in a lot of ways, an anti-musical. It, the musical numbers are not there to make you feel good. They're not there to really express the, the emotion of the characters like they are in other musicals. They're there to, like, in an almost Brechtian way, you know, turn up the lights on, on this whole thing and, and say, you know, here, enjoy something that's going to make you feel icky. Uh, and, and this is the 70s. I mean, this is early 70s and a period in which, you know, we, we get the the rise of the film anti-hero um, and, and, you know, the skeptical. I mean, we've talked about this skepticism um, for all these different things. And so I think that, yeah, we do care about this film in that it does things to the musical that probably are pretty uh fresh and new in its moment i agree i think this does a lot of important things with the way in which it is on the surface presenting you a song and dance musical which i thought Mm -hmm. that was the extent of this film before we saw it Mm -hmm. and then by the end you understand completely i think if you're not even if you're watching that closely i think you still understand the tragic nature and really the deplorable nature of decadence within this film. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's very effective at doing that. I think it's thesis comes across strong with those final moments. So I think that's a very successful film. One we definitely need to care about for the reasons we've enumerated at length within the podcast, namely the political tumult that results in a decadent society. Yeah, and I mean, I think we can we can compare this to something like Sound of Music, which is uh, not quite ten years earlier, um, which also deals with you know the rise of Nazism and all that, and and that is a a movie that is that treats the musical as a very different kind of genre, and this comes in and says like, 
fuck everybody, you're going to feel bad when you leave this film. There's not a happy ending. It's not good. Musicals don't always make you feel good. Which is you answering our second question, right? And what do we owe this film? Or what, sorry, what the, yeah, what do we owe? But also, we can also think about what does it it owe to other films and certainly Sound of Music and other musicals before it. But it's kind of hard to say because I can't think of any modern musical. Well, maybe I take that back. Modern musicals that I've seen, I would say Rent is the example of this, that were singing about really tragic circumstances mm-hmm. and kind of putting a different spin. It doesn't, it's not all Fred Astaire, slap sticky sort of rom- rom-com yeah. singing dancing. Exactly. I would certainly put this, I, I would say the caveat of mainstream, you know, big box or not big box, big box office style, you know, American musicals. We, you know, this is, you look at Rent, which deals with drugs and AIDS, and and that even does have essentially a happy ending. You know, obviously there are things going on in Broadway, uh, on Broadway and off Broadway and all that, on the stage that, that play with the genre. But, I mean, think about La La Land. I mean, La La Land is... a is a Fred Astaire style musical. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are the sorts of things that get made. It's, and these are the sorts of things that make money. And this does sort of live as a big middle finger to that. And the, and the sort of, uh, milk toasty feel good musicals that come before it. It sort of says like, fuck that. <laughs> this is a gritty seventies version of that. The gritty musical. Right. <laughs> Well, then, Ethan, let's ask our final question, and does this film hold up? You know what? I I think if you can make it through about 45 minutes to an hour of it, yes. I think the first 45 minutes to, to an hour I have a little bit of trouble with, just in terms of, like, enjoying myself at the movie theater. But I think that the, in terms of themes and in terms of perhaps the entire thesis statement of this movie, uh, it does hold up mm-hmm. it, we are it, it so weirdly mirrors some of the things that are politically happening in america right now uh that it is it's uncomfortable it's uncanny and it's it you know it's unpleasant yeah and i think the uncanniness is actually carried throughout i've seen it at the very yeah. beginning with mm-hmm. just the visuals but then yes. thematically it carries as well so i would definitely say this film holds up for thematic reasons, like you mentioned, however, visually, I think it hasn't aged well, which yeah. has only added to that uncomfortability, which is part yes. of the theme. So, in which case, you actually have the visuals shoring up the the thematic, holding up pers- what uh, preservation, maybe I think we can. Say. Yeah, no, I agree with you, and and it's it feels so the visuals feel so seventies. Yeah. In this. Yeah. It the clothing, the make. I mean, it just feels. It feels like the seventies. I just I this. forgot we were supposed to be in nineteen thirty one because it doesn't feel like it. No, it doesn't. It really feels, you know, like nineteen seventy three or whatever where, where, where it comes out in. Um, you know, in terms of clothing and everything. But I think you're right. I think that all of that just feeds deeper into this icky, unpleasant feeling that you that you will leave this film with. Well, let's leave with our icky feelings and yes, let's. put this one in the books. 
Next week, we'll be back on Patreon with our super secret bonus content episode for our patrons of the arts only. And Ethan, I hear you ready to announce that episode. Yes, it is the sequel to a film we spent a lot of time with before and had a lot of fun with before. Uh, we are going to watch Blade Runner 2040, 2040, 40, 345, 40. Yeah, that's it. That's the title. It's weird they put it in the box <laughs> office like that. We will be watching Blade Runner 2049. I am looking forward to that. But until that time, I've been Matt Vizel. And I am Ethan Knight. And there will be spoilers. Two spoilers. Two spoilers. Two spoilers. And one. I hate this. I hate. Oh, I hate it. There Will Be Spoilers is hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. It's produced each week by Matt Bazell. Our artwork is by Becca Knight. You can find her on Twitter at Becca the Knight. Our great music was produced and created by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. You can check him out all over the internet. You can always find us on Twitter at SpoilersCast. And you can find us on Patreon if you would like to support us for only $5 a month. Also at Patreon.com slash SpoilersCast. Our email continues to be SpoilersCast at gmail.com. So send us some complaints hate mail and maybe a compliment or two remember please subscribe to us on soundcloud itunes or stitcher and we would really appreciate it if you would rate and review us on itunes it really helps thank you so much hey man i'm sorry if i scared you you're gonna have to do one hell of a lot more than that to scare me yeah but looking all over for you man didn't nobody tell you i was looking for you hey i can't keep track of all you punks running around here backwards Hey, you're supposed to be the fast thing in the valley, man, but that can't be your car. It must be your mama's car. The Wolfman is everywhere. Steven, cut over to G Street. I just saw a vision. I saw a goddess. Come on, you gotta catch up to her. See anything? Come on, Kurt. We can't be spending half the night chasing girls down for you. Maury, I'm telling you, this was the most perfect, dazzling creature I've ever seen.